It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is Anu Shah, most recently the CEO for Rocket Internet in Asia. For someone who left home with $40 in her pocket to fetch a job in a Mumbai call center, Ambu has come a long way in her career and faced life head on. Her career got started with a drinks company in Mumbai, where she demonstrated extreme endurance and blazing heat, covering 40 shops daily to earn a commission of a mere $10 per month. After achieving four tertiary degrees, she became a serial entrepreneur with two successful tech startups under her belt so far, and she's lived in four continents, including her time in Mumbai, Hong Kong, Singapore, Dubai, London, and New York. She now lives in San Francisco. After her most recent CEO assignment, she donated $7 million to the United Nations High Commission for Refugees Rehabilitation Program, where she also holds an honorary role to design a program to establish gender parity through entrepreneurship and innovation. Anusha, welcome into the corner office. Thank you so much, Bram. Oh, it's great to have you here. And we're, we're broadcasting or leather, literally recording on both coasts. I'm in Connecticut and I believe you're in San Francisco, right? I you am. just recently moved there. So we're uh, yeah. doing this about four, going into month four of the uh, COVID epidemic oh, and, yeah. you know, kind of start with that. Uh, how are you doing? How's your family? And gosh, how are you coping during these interesting times? I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you mentioned that the other day, and I'm glad you said it with such conviction again. Uh, yeah, I, I I love it. There's nothing wrong with this time. I think this is, I think this is a perfect time. The entire world has stopped, yeah. and there is no more FOMO that any of us has to go through. Time no more fear down. of missing out on yeah, concerts yeah. and movies and dinners right. and outings right. and holidays. And it's just time to like be. So I I love this time. All I'm doing is staying home. I'm reading a lot. I'm a Good bookworm. So I, I think I've just finished over over 65 books so far. Oh my gosh. In in the last three months. That's in awesome. In the last three months. So I read. <laughs> I'm a voracious reader. So I read wow. books. I was exercising, eating healthy, meditating a lot. So much time to self-reflect. A lot of internal work. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of like healing. I think from my 
from my previous years of having a jet setting life, right, uh, right. you know, where I was uh, probably working 16, 18 hours a day, every day, consistently, no breaks, catching sleep on the flight. As we said in the bio, you've just completed an exit not too long ago, right? Not so too you've long been ago. Working, you know, so very hard. Well, that's great to hear. And, and I'm glad you're healthy and well. And is most of your family back in India or are they here with you in the States? They are here in the States. Um, Good. And they're they well as well, your parents yeah, and everyone fine. else. They're fine. Everyone's safe and sound at this at this point in time. Touch wood. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. Well, listen, we like to start with your early years. So tell us a little bit about, you know, where you grew up and what your early family life was like. You're an immigrant, right? Im- immigrant, yes. Yeah. Immigrant by accident. <laughs> immigrant uh, by accident. All right. <laughs> yes. give, us, give us some more context. <laughs> what if I tell you I actually just came for a seven weeks holiday to the United States in 2018 uh, with an understanding that uh, I was just going to spend seven weeks wow. um, and I was going to actually take up a position in Middle East. Mm. This was for Rocket Internet's portfolio company as a regional CEO. Right. Um, and I was, I was well on my way to go there and then accidentally an investor found me mm. and um, then they were like oh you you eligible to get open visa and you should stay back and I was like I don't even know what it is and yeah, New York yeah. doesn't seem like the most fascinating place in the in the world right, um, right. but I think um, somehow I gave in and then and then here I am my parents that's, 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 uh, you probably don't remember because that's out of context both in terms of your age and your growing up but it sounds like Gilligan's Island to me that was a show <laughs> where they went on a three-hour tour and they ended up for years and years i think it ran seven or eight years in this oh, uh, deserted island but so so <laughs> sounds like my future so, well that's right so so you you did your education you, you grew up in in mumbai correct is I that been home mumbai. and uh, did your secondary as well as your uh, tertiary education did your your undergraduate degree there as well uh, so born in mumbai yeah. um then transported to kenya when i was not even a year old oh. brought back to gujarat right. uh, and that's where i did uh, all my schooling mm. um, um, and even my undergrad, wow. I had growing up was a very um, in, living in a small town in India. Um, did, did it, I mean, it was good and bad in a way, in a sense right. that um, there were so many limitations that are being set in your mind. You conditioned to think that life is only going to be a certain way, but that's the whole environment. Was it a middle class lifestyle? Very middle class lifestyle. So I knew you. So you grew up middle class, and both your parents were uh, professionals. Is that correct? Yeah, both of them had degrees. My father right. worked in in finance. Uh, my mother hailed from the family of entrepreneurs. So ah. she, which is very unlikely for a woman in that day and age uh, right. to be involved in family business and to be very instrumental. Um, so she was now, involved. Was that her family or was it a business that your your parents had set up together? No, that was her family, her, her father. Family, right? Yeah, yeah. so huh. this was even before she met my father. Wow. Um, so it's a very unlikely match because yeah. even today in Indian culture, especially even when I was growing up, uh, the idea for a woman to be Working, uh, be an entrepreneur, be sure. ambitious was very, um, very cult-like, right? Right, um, right, right? So, brothers and sisters, did you have uh, uh, siblings growing up? I had a younger brother. Younger brother. I have a okay. younger brother. <laughs> have a younger brother. Right, right. Cool, cool. And what were some of the things that you remember from mom and dad? You know, in the early years, were there inspirational moments or things that they either told uh, you or behavior that you observed? Yeah, I. Um, 
my father was very hands off, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and my mother was a tiger mom. So, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she um, she had her occasional uh, escapades into the world of entrepreneurship, even right. uh, after she got married. So, I've seen her as a very strong, independent mm. woman, leading yeah. sometimes you know large teams and very strong and like very headstrong and very decisive. Um, her aspirations for me were always that I have to be a CEO someday. I have to wow. be like stellar someday. And, uh, you know, seeing the chaos that that she brought home as an entrepreneur, mm. I was determined that I'll be anything but that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, goodness. I laugh because as, as as our audience will find out, that's not exactly what that's happened not, to that's not how, what you What you run away from comes chasing you. Yes, indeed it does. So, oh, my so goodness. It, I was determined. I'm never going to be her. She yeah. traveled a lot. Right. Um, and, uh, what, was, what was her family business? They were in tours and travels. Tours and travels. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Um, f- a lot of traveling, a lot of adventures, yeah, sure. even with her, even when I was six years old. Wow. And I just detested it because it was not my personality. I was yes. very shy, introvert. I wanted to hide behind her. <laughs> and she was like, she was like, so determined to change me like uh-huh. she would push me to be an extrovert um uh, yeah. so um yeah that was in some ways i think it kind of uh, uh inspired me or sure. you know molded me into who i am gotcha. today yeah were you a good student in school i was i was a straight a topper yeah. okay um, right all throughout in my sure. in my school in my university right. up until even until uh, up to like my masters even at harvard uh-huh. i was a straight a student more of an introvert than during those years? Did you kind of come out a little bit later or what What was your coming out moment? It changed over a period of time. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, it changed more so because, uh, you know, when the tiger mom wants you to be extrovert, you have to, you need the validation. <laughs> so, but it was always like a, a very uh, torn out kind of an experience asking sure. me to be more out of my skin. Uh but what happened is, I think I, I went a complete metamorphosis much later, mm. um, especially when I took up uh, jobs in mergers and acquisitions or right. in private right. equity or strategy consulting. Uh, fortunately or unfortunately for me, in all these roles, um, I ended up in teams or in organizations where there were no women. Um, so the team that I worked in MA had no women, uh, the, in strategy consulting, cause I was in middle East there uh, of the staff of 150 men, there were only 12 women. Wow. So, uh, and in private equity, we were a small team of 19 people, no women again. So in a lot of these places, if I, I, I could not just be that introverted, shy sure, person, sure. you have to be like, you have to fit in. So right. I think I went underwent that metamorphosis where um, it just became a part of me to be very, yeah. very bold, very blunt, very outspoken. Not, I wouldn't say extrovert. I'm selectively extroverted now, but it just, um, it became like where I would just have to speak my mind all the time without being afraid so that's the metamorphosis i underwent yes well you have four i think if i count them right degrees right on three different (laughs) continents from what i gather so so tell us a little bit about that journey you you did your undergraduate your your equivalent of a bachelor's at the uh is it the sadar patel university is that correct i did yeah and then and then did you go directly to europe after that or did you come to the states first much later so uh, everything happened uh, much late in the sense that 
I was not really ready to leave India. I was just, uh, I was more fascinate, fascinated to move from Gujarat to Mumbai. That's where all my family was. Right. And uh, I was born there. So there's obviously natural affinity. I wanted to go back. It's a big city. It's like New York mm. of India. Sure. So you're fascinated. You want to go. Right. And I thought that would be it. I, yeah. Yeah. But the first job that I had in a call center was supposed to be a summer job for three months. And that was in Mumbai. That was in Mumbai. Right. And uh-huh. I, Honestly, no kidding. All I told them was, I'm just going to be there for three months. I'm going to make enough money and so that I can shop to my heart's content <laughs> and then come back and get married. There you uh, go. This, right. is, this was Simple just life. my plan. Very simple. I was very, I was dating somebody at that point in time like for right, six, seven right. years. And yeah. you know, we were family friends for generations. I thought yeah, my life was yeah. set. That I was going to come back, get married. That um, it. Those three months got converted in some 13 very long years of my wow. life. Wow. I don't know how one thing came out or another. So yeah. um, I was then very fascinated by my life in Mumbai. It was very mm. liberating. Yeah. For the first time ever, I had opinions. Uh, and for the first time ever, I was just so independent enough to go now, everywhere. Now, you said you had opinions. So were you asked for your opinion or did you kind of formulate them and had more of a freedom them. of expression? Yeah, Just formulate. I, yeah. It was not yeah. even about expressing with others. Mm. It's just that suddenly now I have opinions on how things right. should be, how they are, how they were. Excellent. I, it didn't happen in the previous years. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So this. So it was the culture. Yeah, I'm just trying to understand what what the influence was. Was it the call center environment? Was it because you were living in a large city? How did you think you kind of evolved at that time to kind of generate your? your I think it was independence for the first time ever. I was independent on your own, Uh, and more importantly, I was financially independent. Mm, Um, I think that gave me a lot of confidence because in the previous years I was living, um, kind of living off my parents, right? Because they were paying for my tuition. It's a very Indian thing where. Of course, yeah, yeah. it's been taken yeah. care of. So right, you didn't uh, have to work, right? No, you couldn't do, yeah, right. No, right. and uh, and and you know, at that point in time, I was like, there's no need for opinions. Everything is taken care of sure. for me. Right. Um, right. And. Uh, my mother is a very over was at least at that point in time very overtowering figure mm. someone who had a lot of opinions and like yeah, you know yeah. and she was she was literally like the head of the family so there you i didn't have much to contribute and she was obviously smart and independent and all of that so i was always like and given my personality i think i never truly was myself mm. until i became financially independent even right, if it right. was just you know 30 40 dollars a month sure. which it was still like i now have yeah, my i decide yeah i decide <laughs> where to go what to do and even the planning because it was not a lot of money um, i used to then live with my extended family we had a house there okay. uh, in mumbai so i used to live around them with them and uh, it was still a comfortable life so all the money was mine and with that whatever I could do where to go for a movie and I'm very uh, independent in the sense I love spending time with myself Mm. I can go to movies alone I can go to malls alone Um, so it just suddenly was like this is amazing Um, so you came back home and you look at your boyfriend and said hmm <laughs> I think he said, he said, hmm, something has changed. Oh, I see, right. All, all of a sudden, yeah, she's got opinions now. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. It was exactly like that. It's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I think everyone around me was shocked. And um, I decided uh, to stay back okay. uh, and explore. So you stayed in Mumbai. And, and I then stayed in Did Mumbai. you go on to your 
further education? You went on to another job? Tell us a little bit about uh, yeah. some of those early years. Yeah, very, um, very accidentally, I kind of met someone who was working in marketing. Okay. So she was, this woman uh, was, um, she was very outspoken, very bossy, mm. very assertive. I should not use the word bossy, that's wrong. She was, she was very uh, outgoing, extrovert, smart, assertive very confident in herself. Uh, she was sure. working in marketing and I okay. thought, thought, thought everything that she did was fascinating. Mm. Actually, that was my first brush with the term marketing. I picked it up from there and I said, I want to be in marketing. Oh. Um, but uh, my first degree was in, was in genetic engineering. It was it was not going to give me a job in marketing. Mm. So I was ready to start from the bottom. And so the first job that was offered to me was uh, with a company to actually sell their products uh, door to door. Wow. So like a salesperson. And yeah. it was supposed to be a physically very demanding job. Mm. I then at point in time did not realize what I was getting into. Um, <laughs> nothing. But I was just like, I'm going to do it. I find yeah. it very, I was very curious. It was, I was literally like a, you know, mind of a five-year-old who was super curious sure. uh, and who just wants to discover and just, you know, engage with everything, which is interesting. So I just said I'll take up this job and not not realizing that because India is also very uh, hierarchical or, right. or, you know, class divided yep. society. Yep. Those are yep. not the jobs you take when you come from a certain background, a certain not. education yeah. and things right. like that. But I loved it. I mean, I didn't <laughs> what care. What were you selling, Anu? What was your, I was, what was the product? What care. were you selling, Anu? What was your, I was, what was the product? <laughs> it was, uh, uh, so we used to work for a company which was India's third largest beverage company. Mm. Um, so I was actually selling their, their, all their products. Um, door to so what door. Do you, yeah. yeah, door to door. Basically, wow. what you have to do is you have to go to the shops and you have to like sell it to the shops. Sure. But basically, sh you take orders on behalf of the distributors and then you go back to the distributors and said, I have these orders for you. Please deliver it. Right. So kind of working right. on behalf of the company, but so much yeah. for the distributors. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. So India still has a lot of mom and pop of store course. culture. Yeah. Yeah. So right. at that point in time, 98% retail was uh, mom and mom All these and small pop. little stores. Yeah. Yeah. And so you were selling to them. Did you have to do the collections as well? Uh, no, I did not. No. I was not okay. part of the collection, yeah. but it was yeah. so much just about taking the orders and selling and things like that. What did you learn in that job? What, what would you say was kind of the, if you look back and said the kind of the, the main thing that you took away from that experience? The reality of life. Mm. I was very far off from that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I came from a very conducive environment right. uh, where everything was very well taken care of for mm. me. Um, and uh, the it taught me a lot. I think I came from, there were, how do I say, the harsh reality of life. Yes. Um, you know, it just opened my eyes mm. to a lot of, a lot of facts, made me more strong, yeah. made me more grounded, right. humble. Humble. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine. I, right. Yeah. Right. I, and, and I did not realize it then, to be very honest. Then I was very upset and miffed at myself, my decisions, and the fact that, you know, I've just decided to do it on my own. And I was right. kind of blaming it on my mother for not stopping me from doing mm. this. And but, but a lot of things that came to me much later in my life, um, you know, it came from from that experience. Like I could associate right. with a lot of people who were not privileged. 
um, and taking up causes, taking up initiatives, yeah. being more associated with the society on a, on a, a, for the larger good of the world, right. it would have not happened had I not started like right. that. Awesome. Uh, so, all... so when did you go internationally? Then you, you, because you've done both work as well as study abroad. Was it soon after that? Yes, I spent a few years in India, right. uh, and then I just kind of realized that I've hit a glass ceiling because mm. to progress further, I will need to have a chip on my shoulder, um, <laughs> and it was only going to come through education. Right. Um, right. So. Uh, but I did not want to invest a lot in education. I did not want to. Um, I did not. Ha- I mean, at by that point, I was very clear that whatever I'll do, I'll do on my own. I will right. not take money from my parents or anything. Yep. So, um, so it was like looking at courses which were, and because you are an Indian passport holder, sometimes you worry about the visa situation sure. and you worry about the international students' fee and wherever I could get like tuition waiver or cheap education. So that's what drove me to go to mm. Europe. Right. Uh, and uh, much after that, so after Europe, it was still so much about, even when I had the, all the top jobs, I still felt like uh, a good brand name was missing. So mm-hmm. that that kind of, and I also felt like after private equity, I was a bit lost because I was not enjoying it and I wanted to reinvent and do something. And then, and then Harvard came up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so going back, so you did uh, two degrees, right? You did the, you did your MS in business administration, university of Leeds. And then you also did a German graduate school of management. Where was that? Uh, that was in Heilbronn in oh, southwest wow. of Germany. In okay. Gotcha. So you did two different. And, and which one did you do first? Of those two. Uh, I did I did the leads first. You did the leads first. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And then did you work while you were in Europe as well? Did you start I did. there? Uh-huh. I did. Uh, I was working in uh, in the United Kingdom. I was working in London. Right. I used to work with, uh, it was more of an internship that I did with an American bank called Northern Trust. Right. Sure. Um, so it yeah. was in, yeah, it was in asset management. Uh, my first job was actually in risk management. Um, and then I know you spent about three years with A.T. Kearney as well. Now, was that yeah. after you came to the U.S.? Uh, A.T. Kearney was in Middle East. So was Middle right, East? Af- oh my yeah, yeah. right after I graduated, I actually took up a job with EY in mergers and acquisitions. Okay. So I did not, I knew at Northern Trust was kind of, I understood that. Luckily, I had that internship because before that, I was very obsessed with working in asset management, risk mm. management, and things like that. And I quickly understood that I will not enjoy that. So I right. wanted something which was more um, thrilling, uh, adventurous in some ways. And so I wanted to work in uh, mergers and acquisitions. Mm. So that happened at EY. And after EY, uh, I felt like just looking at the screen, crunching numbers is, is mm. not something that I enjoy. So I was like, yeah. what can I do next? Consulting at that point in time was very hot in the sense that you get to work on different projects, you get to right. travel, right. Uh, you know, like all this, all these uh, exposure to the C-level C execs and things like that. So sure. um, I took up a job at ATK. I was always geography agnostic. Okay. Um, and I, I, every time I would be interviewed, they'd be, they'd be asking, like, are you going to be able, are you going to be comfortable to relocate? And I was like, for a right opportunity, I'll even move to Timbuktu or to, to Honolulu. I would go back to India. I would go back to wherever. I was... It never scared. I think also in my 20s, I was very, I was filled with the sense of adventure because like Mm. the world was an ocean and I could just go and explore and, you know, like the breadth and depth of it was very exciting. So I said, I'll I'll take it. And that's how I So your three years were all in the Middle East. Were you in Dubai or where were you based? It was in Dubai, but Uh my projects were all over. So my projects were in Europe um, because I was part of telecom team. Telcos are 
that was a global team. So now, were you were you managing people at that time, or were you independent contributor as a consultant? How did that How did that work? And at HG Kearney, it, it was an individual country. I st- right. I started as like a post MBA level. So for like first two three years, you are an individual contributor before you become right. a manager. Right. But there are projects when you when you get to manage a new analyst or something like that. But sure. uh, yeah, there are very few projects where you get such an opportunity. So tell me about when you became an entrepreneur. It happened very accidentally. Mm. Again, it was much later uh, when I came to came to United States when I was right. uh, a student. Um, I was on the campus, and obviously Harvard is is you know filled with extremely smart, talented people. Sure, um, it was very very energetic, motivating, charged up environment, and uh, pretty much everyone I met wanted to change the world, and I just yeah, felt like yeah. in some ways to drive that vision. Um, And the first thing that I learned when I came here was about Silicon Valley Mm. uh, and how the whole startup ecosystem here is and, you know, how many startups come here, the the flow of capital, the ease of, uh, you know, raising money to getting entrepreneurship help or mentorship and things like that. And my prior experience was that of working in Africa right before I came here. So I had a small incident when I was, um, you know, kind of helping uh, a woman entrepreneur raise funds for her craft brewery Mm. in Rwanda. So I, you know, just just kind of uh, exploring my network to see who were the right people to help her. And uh, found someone who was a a lady from Canada who then helped the CEO find support from another brewery in Canada. And we all got together to run uh, a Kickstarter uh, initiative for her. We raised about $110,000. So that incident kind of remained. And then I came to United States and this whole charged up environment at Harvard and later learning about Silicon Valley. I was kind of merging all of these aspects to mm-hmm. then to then come up with the you know idea of replicating the whole Silicon Valley uh, model uh, yeah. for emerging and frontier markets of the world because awesome. because you know there is talent there there are entrepreneurs there they just don't have this kind of leverage or support yeah. so um, that's how EFI Hub uh, started so that was my first first. Uh, you know, kind of entrepreneurial venture. Uh, yeah, uh-huh. not yeah. really, not really knowing at that point in time what it was going to be right. or how big it became later. It was so much like let's just do this. Um, more, I was mostly thinking of it as a not-for-profit um, mm. or a or, kind you of know, an like assistance a, providing yeah. organization. Yeah, um, yeah. In fact, when we were looking at the domain name, I was thinking if we should have a .org site to it. Right. Um, huh. And we didn't get it, so then we went ahead with .com and right. Uh, right. and then accidentally my classmate, uh, not accidentally, but we were, we were discussing on the campus. My classmate said, this is an idea. It had a lot of potential if you're doing it in Africa. He was a politician from South Africa and he decided yeah. to invest in it. So wow. um, all the pieces kind of came together. Yeah. Uh, but initially, that's not how I had thought of it to be. Right. Well, how did that lead then to uh, Rocket Internet? So tell us about that part of the journey. <laughs> Uh, so I moved to Africa. Um, wow, whereabouts? I, I was in Rwanda. So wow. I left my course halfway. I didn't finish my course. Um, okay. And then I just uh, decided to go ahead and run the startup in Africa. So I moved to Rwanda. 
uh and uh, at that point in time i was uh, I, since i had lived in singapore previously when i was working with ey right. i had some friends there and uh, somehow efi hub was getting a lot of media and press coverage a lot of attention media attention so somebody right. in uh, singapore had read that a friend of mine and uh, also incidentally rocket internet had offered me a job in 2013 13 or 14 mm, okay. and it was for one of their portfolio companies and i didn't end up taking it uh and again i had the same thought that i'm not going to be an entrepreneur i i don't right. want to run a business uh, <laughs> i'm trying to run away from that a long time a long time long time <laughs> and i was like no i'm going to do something cool like consulting or you know right. mna or right. things like that so i yeah. said no uh and i left and um and my friend who was then the md of one of the other portfolio companies he called up and said like you were running away from it all your life and what just mm. happened right. i was like you know this is just accidental or whatever and i was just laughing it off um <laughs> i still in my heart did not believe that all that had happened and wow. i had no understanding and idea of what was going to be the outcome so mm. it was pretty much like mindlessly doing it um more so because i think when you come to an expensive school like harvard you get a sure. lot of financial anxiety right uh, yeah. i had a lot of financial anxiety and uh, even the environment was very very assertive uh, very aggressive and i was i was intimidated i think in some ways so i was ready to leave uh, so i was really not sure what will happen and my friend was like you know if you're interested rocket internet has another position too yeah. uh, which is that of a ceo of a certain startup if you want to do two at a time right uh and i said i i without thinking much i said yeah i can and uh, also rocket internet in asia is apac ig which is basically a joint venture between oridu and rocket internet okay so oridu was my client uh when i was in middle east and again coincidentally i was working on oridu's uh investment strategy in tech as part of which they doubled down uh, on apac ig or on the joint venture that they had with rocket internet so mm. i knew people there as well and they had also asked me if i'd be interested in this so it came from like multiple places and then and then i was like okay i'll give it a shot and i was offered the position and i today when i look back i was like what a mad woman i was that i said <laughs> i'm going to do two startups at a time yeah. what the hell was i thinking both of which had a uh, multi country presence i was out wow. of my mind yeah um not knowing what it entailed i mean oh my god uh but i went ahead with it and then yeah and then i mean that's how it started so you were there for about 3 years and then the company was sold uh yeah yeah and uh, and then i came to united states to start yeah. another startup um yeah. so that's how that's how it kind of went around that's fantastic and then how big was your team when you were running rocket uh the rocket team was about 30 35 people yeah. um and efi hub was larger it was about 50 60 people right. uh, when we exited so, so what yeah. was the when was the first time you started managing people then it was efi hub yeah yeah uh yeah how was that experience did you take away some some key learnings from that before moving on to your next uh you know uh, uh startup and you know what what were some of those learnings I was too young and mm. I had never managed a team of this scale ever before. Right. right. Um and consulting M&A private equity they tend to be very hierarchical. Sure. So all the roles are very divided, very siloed, uh you know, and this the that got set out 
tasks for you. Right. Um, so, right. so, and startups are a different ball game altogether. Uh, managing team was it was a very it was a very uphill task. A lot of mistakes that I made initially hmm. uh, in not just uh, so first and foremost is hiring, so hiring the right talent and then managing. Right. I did not get it right the first time. Yeah. I struggled for yeah. it for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a very scary experience because a lot of times I will have to interview and work with people who were who had more experience than me, who were older sure. than me. Um, and so it was a it was kind of a hit and miss in the beginning. How would you say your leadership style has really evolved over time? I think now I am more relaxed. I'm more mm-hmm, confident. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that point in time, it was filled with a lot of anxiety, a uh, lot of micromanaging right, because sure. I was also learning in the process. Right, um, right. So if I have to hire a, a marketing head, uh, I will not in the past, I was not able to leave all the tasks at him or to sure. him right. uh, I was to like to delegate really, them all yeah, yeah mm-hmm. because to delegate sometimes you have to uh, you have to also understand the big vision the big mission picture um, and uh, you should be able to trust the other person mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and that comes over a period of time um, I I was I was very young I did not know how to deal with it all so I was very right. micromanaging it right. for the longest right. time uh, also my experience with rocket and with EFI was very different uh, in the sense that um, with EFI it was everything was supposed to be built from the scratch mm. uh, so it is a very iterative evolving process on a day-to-day basis so it's more chaotic right. uh, in chaos if I if I am changing directions, quite so often it's very hard for me to delegate the set tasks to others sure uh and so i think i struggled with it to kind of bring a structure to that chaos that's something that i struggled with uh yeah. with efi hub yeah. with rocket internet i was replacing their existing ceo right. for uShift. so there was a set team and the team was a little bit more mature so i was not building things from ground up but there at the struggle in terms of managing the team was first about winning their trust Um, and uh, I was also put in a in a slightly precarious situation because with Rocket Internet the team that I I inherited was all was absolutely Boy Scout all men Uh, wide majority of them French um, with an exception of one one person who was Singaporean local and one girl uh, who was recently hired who was Singaporean local uh, and then the 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 person heading that team was Indian the person heading that team was Indian woman brown in battle out there because sure. you know it was so much about winning their trust and right, young right. I think more yeah. importantly um, so that was a different story but with EFI Hub it was so much about how am I going to bring a structure to this chaos how am I going to uh, make sure that the team is aligned and they understand that this is how it happens in the startup environment right. uh, so you still because they're doing their job they're not the entrepreneurs so you still have to make it look like they have the set tasks for sure. them sure. so I I took a while, I think about literally about six, eight months into it, I kind of understood what the frustration was because I would get also in Africa, the culture is very different. They don't come and tell you exactly whether they're happy or not. Uh, they, they'll just leave one day. Right, and then right. you cannot afford to have that kind of attrition for yeah, a new yeah. company. Uh, also, there was lack of mentorship in the sense that you do not see a lot of entrepreneurs in Africa. 
right. so so there was a lot of gaps yeah. there um so i worked on it differently what i did was um kind of bringing a structure to my chaos so setting expectations very right making things very transparent telling them up front that this is the chaos that i'm going through and somehow you know you guys will be part of it right. but also right. making sure that I am at least able to articulate what is expected out of them, if yeah. not as their day-to-day -day task, but a broad vision and broad understanding uh, of what is expected out of them. Yeah, you said that you you said earlier you learned a lot about hiring people. What what were some of the lessons, and what do you look for when you're uh, making bets on people you're going to invest in and hire? I got it wrong the first time. Yeah. So I'll tell you what the mistake I made because I came from the consulting and and you know the world of finance. You hire there. You hire people for their degrees. Right, you hire right. them for, for the school that they went to and the yeah. brand name that they come with. Right, and right. I went with that mindset initially yeah. that it is so much about what tags do you carry. Mm. Um, and so I went more for the aptitude uh, rather than the attitude. Mm. Big mistake. Yeah. That's yeah. not how it works here. Right. It is so right. much about the attitude. Yeah, um it is. so it is so much about do you have the right mindset? Are yeah. you excited, genuinely excited Passion. about about the opportunity? Yeah. Are you a hustler? Right. Do right. you can you thrive in this environment? Can you support people while we while we all are clueless about where and how things right. are going? Right. So right. um that was a big learning, big takeaway. Mm. Um when I hired people from from good schools, giving them a lot of salary, I burned my cash very quickly. Yeah. They they were still not happy with the chaos. They had to work longer hours. Right. Um and they were the first few people to leave. Yeah. yeah. Uh so Hard but I learned. To learn. yeah. yeah. So but then I and I learned that people who were young uh did not come from I, I hired someone who was heading my business operation, not heading, but like manager business operations. Right. This person was not even uh this person had just finished his class twelve. Mm. Um and so I'll tell you accidentally I hired him because in <laughs> Singapore you have to have a certain ratio of locals to international employees. So if I had to hire an international employee, I had to first hire a local. So I was like, okay, right. I can hire this person who turned out to be one of the most hardworking individuals <laughs> in the organization. Wow, isn't that He something? was so hungry for an opportunity. Yeah. He was so like, determined to prove himself yeah. um, because he always came with the with the thing that I am not from a top school right. so I'm not right. even He's like an undergrad yeah. yeah work yeah. very hard so I think that's when he taught me a lot actually he yeah. taught me um, to give importance to attitude more than aptitude we're just about out of time, but we've got a couple last questions that I want to ask before we wrap up. And one is, of course, just looking forward. Um, we're just entering month four of the COVID crisis in the U.S. By the time this releases, it's probably going to be more midsummer, month five or six. Who knows if we'll still be counting them then. But what what changes do you see ahead? What kind of an impact do you think this is uh, going to have on you know tech and and your world, both personally and professionally? We, so when we look about tech, we look at it from two perspectives. One is mm. the VC investment and how that will change. And second is how startups will respond to that. Right. Um, so so VCs are now going to be very selective about their, about their investment strategy. Um, so they, in the past where, you know, it was so much about the traction and growth, now it is going to be increased scrutiny and due diligence, more focus on unit metrics, cash flows, sustainability, mm. profitability. Um, so it it will not be growth at the expense of high cash burn anymore. So that's first. 
Um, second, they're going to prioritize their existing portfolio companies. So the companies which are not uh, in the innovative tech or the you know the critical tech space like medicine right. or online education, remote work solutions. Um, any company outside that will have to work very hard to prove themselves. Mm. Um, and a couple of other things that VCs will do is they'll redirect their focus on institutional investors for raising funds. They'll employ right. alternate investment or fundraising tools to continue their kind of LP relationship or co-investment vehicles. But that's more from the VC side. For startups, all of this is very critical because now it is not so much about just how strong the team is or how many exits they've had before. But it'll be so much more focused on what is your business model? What is your um, go-to-market strategy? What does your cash flow and profitability look like? Uh, so there'll be a lot of impetus on improving the unit metrics to right. make sure that you are actually going to be a sustainable business. Yeah, um, yeah. So that really changes the fundamentals of how entrepreneurs perceive a cash burn. Um, so that's for the new entrepreneurs. People who are in business, for them, it'll be so much about reevaluating their uh, spend strategy, uh, probably reducing the headcount, uh, you know, cut down on the salaries. No more right. luxury of buying Google engineers at a premium. Right. Uh, right. It will now be just about how do we just sustain ourselves? Yeah, um, so, yeah, these are a few yeah. changes that I see yeah. going ahead. Awesome. And, and last question we always ask our guests is, what career and life advice would you give to someone maybe that's five to 10 years behind you in your career that maybe have their eyes on the corner office and the company ran, or perhaps they want to be an entrepreneur like yourself? I would say don't, don't give up under any circumstances. <laughs> uh, there are infinite, uh, you know, possibilities in the universe for things to go your way. So right. don't have a, have a mind of abundance uh, and without any limitations, just chase your dreams. What do you mm. follow will, will definitely come to you. Awesome. Well, Anusha, thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Thank you, Rand, for having me on your show. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode. 